Thank you, God, for the opportunity one more time to come to this pulpit and declare your word. I ask you to touch us as we do a special celebration for mothers. We thank you, God, for the contribution over the years that so many wonderful mothers have made and uh, examples just like we saw here just on this stage this morning. We ask you to touch our hearts and our ears as we hear what the Lord has to say to us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And everybody said amen. 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 Well, the third largest attendance of the whole year means that this service must have some importance to it. And I see, you know, every year we have people who come in for Mother's Day and we have people who go out for Mother's Day. And uh, sometimes we get it to where we do two, two years in, one, in a row, we're doing it one way. But I'm so glad all of you are here with us today and here with your mother. And if you are here with your mother, you are a blessed person. I want you to know, God bless you. There are many, many people that just uh, have difficulty during this specific time. It's uh, very difficult for people who have recently lost their mother to be reminded of the uh, grief and the pain of losing a, a mother. You know, the Bible tells us that uh, a mother is a gift that God gives to us. A mother has to be a very special kind of person. A mother has to be a person that is very faithful to what God has given her responsibility for. Amen. You know, in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 11 and 12, the Bible said, There is a generation that curseth their father and doth not bless their mother. There is a generation that is pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed in their dirtiness. That could describe probably the world that we're living in right now because there are so many attacks on the uh, traditional uh, way of thinking about home and family and all of those refining influences that surround uh, the American uh, idea of home and family, those kind of things. It's, it's interesting. Did you know that the word husband, you know what it really means? That word translated from the original means house band, house band. Amen. In other words, it's the framework of what keeps the house together. It's uh, in one rendering I read, in Ellicott's uh, rendering of it, it said that it is the framework that holds everything else together. Wow. Well, hey, dads, we've got a pretty big job if we're trying to hold everything together, aren't we? You know what the word wife means? It means woven. Can you believe that? That man is the framer of the family and gives the structure and gives the adhesiveness that holds everything together. And then in that picture, there is a weaving, as it were, and that is done by the uh, beautiful contribution of a loving mother and a wife. Isn't that something? That the frame is the man and the picture on the inside is the woman. Praise the Lord. The woven inside the all-togetherness that God calls family. I want to tell you that the family unit in America is under siege. It really is. There's a lot of attack that is going on right now about the Judeo-Christian uh, thoughts of morality and decency and marriage and family and home. All of those institutions are under attack right now. But I want to tell you that they are biblical. No matter what cultural pressure there is that is uh, imposed upon those institutions, that in the end, God will prevail and God's word will stand. 
and God's instructions to us as human beings on how to live, the human ethic, the human character that we have one toward another is exemplified greatest in those relationships with family and home and all of those things that God told us about uh, how we should love and care for our families. You know, the Bible talks about various mothers, and I'll mention several of them uh, today. The first mother that we have any record of is Eve. And the Bible said Adam named her Eve because he said because she's a mother. She is the mother of all the living. Can you believe that Mother uh, Eve is mother of us all? A divine mandate from God meant that she would be the mother of all the living. In Eve, we have the promise of life, the promise of God's presence with us and God's glory around us. All of those things are represented in the wonderful gift that God gave to us when he gave us the first mother who is Eve. But could I tell you, in the very first family that God ever created, there was great difficulty and dysfunction. You mean God's first attempt at having home and family uh, failed? Well, you can read the account and you decide whether it failed or not. And in fact, the Bible tells us that uh, she suffered the terrible loss of a child at the hands of her other child. One of her sons murdered her other son. Brother, for a mother, that must be heart-wrenching. That must be catastrophic. What a terrible, terrible ordeal in the very first family. The Bible said that Abel was a worshiper, and it was all about worship. Can you believe that? All about worship. Abel offered a, an offering. He offered one of his lambs. He was a sheep herder, and he offered one of his lambs. And the Bible said that Cain offered his offering. He was a tiller of the ground. And when he brought his grain offering unto God, the Bible said God had respect unto Abel's offering. In other words, his offering more suited what God would be pleased with than an offering unto him. The reason, biblically, that we understand why God had respect to his offering is because it involved the shedding of blood. And the Bible said, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. So then it pleased God that the offering that was printed by Abel, but can you believe that he was so jealous, Cain was so jealous of his brother that the Bible said he rose up against his brother and slew him, and slew his brother. And the Bible then tells us that story goes on, that, that God came down, and he always will. That, that little adage, uh, there's an all-seeing eye watching you, that's true. And God knows all about what's going on in our families, our hearts, and our lives as well. And the Bible came down and confronted Cain. And he said to Cain, he said, where is thy brother? And you know that famous response, don't you? Am I my brother's keeper? Why are you asking me about where is my brother? Am I the one that is supposed to keep up with my brother? Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, Cain, what hast thou done? What have you done? And he told him then, he said, the blood that is shed from thy brother's hand has cried out to me from the ground. And he said, and now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood. 
a fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And the, here we have the first disclosure of God's punishment and God's judgment against sin. God always hates sin. God always despises sin. He warns us over and over that sin has a terrible consequence. It has a terrible result. And I always say, take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay. You know that saying. I preach that a lot of times. And it's very true because God knows the destructiveness that comes about in our, our lives when we sin. And that separation from God always happens when we sin and transgress against the law of God. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. He said, and, it, and Cain said in the 13th verse, he said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day, and from thy face shall I be hid. And he said, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall find me shall slay me. And God said, no, I'm going to put a mark upon you. And there you have that first introduction of marking. And he marked Cain. The Bible said, lest any finding him should kill him. So we have the picture of the first family. And as I related it to you, you surely can see there was a lot of hurt and a lot of animosity and hostility, pain and suffering brought about by disobedience. We can go further and we get over into the, the, the story of, of Abram and about how that he uh, had, a, had a family and the problem in their family was that uh, Sarah couldn't have children. And so they went about this carnal means, this fleshly means of trying to make her a mother. You see, when you try to do things in spite of God and get around God and you try to uh, subvert God, you'll always be the loser in that situation. The Bible said they, they took this Egyptian handmaid and, and used her as a surrogate mother. And uh, when she bore a child named Ishmael, uh, the Bible tells us that Ishmael grew, that he was strong, and that he was, he was uh, 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 very much of a, of, of a man. And then the Bible tells us that the promise that they'd waited on so long uh, came true. An angel came by and said, about this time next year, you're going to have a, a child. She laughed, and the Bible said, God told him, said, you'll call his name Isaac because uh, you laughed. His name will mean laughter. How about that? You'd be reminded forever that you laughed at the promise of God. Woo, what a terrible reminder that is, right? And the Bible tells us then that there be, when he was about 13 years old, Ishmael, and they had given a birthday party for Isaac, and the Bible said that uh, Ishmael began to mock and to make light of and be sarcastic toward Isaac. Well, Sarah, you know, didn't like that situation. She was a mother that felt like her child was special and felt like her child should not be talked to or disrespected in any way. So the Bible said she went to Abraham and she said to Abraham, send this woman away. Send this substitute mother away. And the Bible said that she left and she ran away from a home and she the Bible said she made it to a well, and uh, when she was lying there by the well wishing that she could undo everything that had happened and could fix anything that, that was within her power to, to, to fix it, 
And the Bible said, and an angel came to her. An angel came. Now, there are a lot of things named in the Bible, but very few people ever get the chance to name God. God's our creator. As creator God, he is Jehovah. Jehovah God, the creator God. As the sovereign God, he's Yahweh. Yahweh, the proper name for God in the Old Testament. As the mighty, almighty, as God almighty, he's the El Shaddai. And he's got all of these other titles, the Shalom and uh, Nisi, uh, Roy. He has all of these names, but only one person gets the name him, and that was a woman named Hagar. And the Bible said that she named God the one who sees me. The one who sees me. Can you see a mother here that has had a terrible situation at home? Much distress, much dysfunction, much hatred and animosity in the home, and she ran away. But as she ran away and stopped to rest, she had an encounter with God. And she encountered a God that she called from that day forward, the God who sees me. And I want to tell all of you mothers that are here this morning, there's a God who sees you. He doesn't just see you on the outside because man looks upon the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. God who sees you looks right straight into your heart. And though you may say and act and do differently so nobody will know, there is one who always knows. You may play charades and little games so that people don't know the real, but God looks straight into your heart. Right straight into your heart. Amen. And because he can look into your heart, he knows the burdens that are in your heart. The secrets that you think nobody else knows, God knows those things because he sees you. The God who sees you. You can never travel so far but what God can't find you because he always sees you. He never loses sight of where you are and what you need and what you're going through. As a mother, that's a great consolation, isn't it? That you can never be lost from the all-seeing eye of God. What a comfort that is. And what a blessing that is that with all the challenges and all the difficulties that, that mothers go through, isn't it wonderful to know that you never lose the purview of Almighty God? He always sees you, always knows you, always cares, always hears your prayers, always hears your prayers, always knows the burden of your heart. What a powerful and mighty God He is, the God who sees me. The God who sees me. Well, the Bible goes on and talks about other great families. And it, it talks about, about Rachel and it talks about uh, Rebecca. And Rebecca's problem was favoritism. She had one son named Jacob that she really, really loved. And there was another son named Esau. And she didn't like him. He was 
the son of another mother. And she just felt like her son was the one that was, should get all of the blessing of the inheritance. And she participated in this scheme, you know, of putting goat hair on uh, skins because one of Esau was a, the Bible said, was a man of the field. He was a hunter and he enjoyed being outside and outdoors and he loved to participate in those things. And the Bible said he was a very manly kind of guy and he was very hairy. So they put goat skins on him, on Jacob, of course, because Jacob, well, the Bible said, was fair complected and he was not a man of the field, not an outdoorsman, but he was the favorite of his mama. Can you believe that a mama would participate in a scheme to get her favorite all of the inheritance? So we're finding a lot of dysfunction in these first families, aren't we? And poor old Isaac, he said, said well, he said, you've got skin like Esau, but you've got the voice of Jacob. But he bestowed the whole blessing upon Jacob. And Jacob got the whole inheritance along with it, the covenant with God. Amen. The blessing of the, of the firstborn. And he cheated in order to get it. And that meant that his mother assisted him in the cheating. But then we see Jacob goes off into another country. He finally reaches his mother's brother's house over in a land called Haran, and he starts tending sheep and does pretty well because he's got the blessing. If you've got the blessing, you get blessed. Amen. You have favor. You have presence. And the Bible said that every time Jacob touched something, it just turned into Good, something good. Next thing you know, he's got as many flocks and herds as, as Laban has, his father-in-law. Well, that's another story. He fell in love with a little, little sweet woman there. And her name was Jake, uh, Rachel, you remember. And the Bible said that she loved him and she, she wanted everything to go, go good because she wanted to marry him. Well, Laban, his father-in-law, made a deal with him. He said, i tell you what we'll do. He said, you work for me so many years and I'll let you have Rachel to be your wife. Rachel, to be the mother of all these covenant people. And so he served him uh, five years, was it? And after those years were up, he said, now it's time to get the real one I want because his father-in-law said, you can't have Rachel, but I'll give you Leah. And I love the way the Bible described her. When you say the Bible tells it like it is, for Leah, that was very unfortunate. Because the Bible said she was a tender-eyed. Plain. Well, you get the picture. I don't need to talk about that anymore. Wow. In other words, she wasn't pretty. And she wasn't uh, a knockout, uh, you know. So he took her for 
the years until he's waiting on Rachel. Praise God. One of these days I'm going to get Rachel. And the Bible said, and time seemed to go by rapidly because his love for her was so great. Wow. Had a couple of children by Leah on the way to get to Rachel. So finally, when another five years is gone, and he's going to do this again, he comes back and said, hey, now I've served the time now that you said for, for, for Rachel. And he brought Rachel. He had to work. It was 14 years. That's right. Seven and 14 is the numbers. Yeah. So he got cheated. He went in business with his father-in-law that he would have, have the solid-colored uh, sheep and the solid-colored cattle, and his father-in-law would, would have uh, the spotted ones, plain ones and spotted ones. And the Bible said that uh, Laban devised a scheme where he could cheat Jacob out of his portion. So what, what's going on here? Things are starting to go bad for him. What's the mother doing in all of this? She's the one that helped the whole cheating scheme to happen. Have you ever done something you ought not to have done? Yes. Have you ever looked back on a situation and said, I wish I hadn't have done that? Because it opened the door to a lot of stuff to happen that don't need to happen, you know. And so next thing you know, Jacob is laying over here on the ground. He's, he's running from his brother. His brother wants to kill him. Got all of this dysfunction going on. His mother helped him cheat and rob away from the brother. And the brother's mad about it and says he's going to kill him when he sees him. What a terrible family. Boy, God's people are a sorry bunch of folks, ain't they? In them first few chapters right there. Well, the Bible said that while he was sleeping and camp, and the Bible said he pulled a rock up under his head to use for a pillow. Now, I like a firm pillow, but I, I'm not looking for a rock to pillow my head. Are you? And the Bible said that while he, while he slept, he had a dream. And he saw in his dream angels ascending and descending up and down a ladder. And he wanted the interpretation of it, and, and the interpretation wasn't exactly what he, what he wanted. But he said, surely the Lord has been in this, house, in this place. And he got down on his knees and he said, Lord, he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to start paying my tithes. Said from now on, when you bless me with, with cattle and you bless me with sheep and you bless me with, with wealth, a tenth of my increase, I'm going to see to it that I get that to you, God. That belongs to you. And said, I'm going to walk in the ways that I'm supposed to. I'm going to be the, the rightful person that you purposed and called I, I, and ordained. I'm, I'm going to straighten up my life. I'm going to get it right. And I wish I could tell you he did, but he... Just didn't get that done either. And he finally now, after so many years, he's had son, 12 sons and one daughter. Her name was Dinah. And Dinah got to court in a prince there of, of one of the countries that Israeli people don't like. And next thing you know, she comes back and tells him, hate to tell you this, but I'm going to have a baby. And boy, did that evermore make the brothers mad. Of course, if she's just the one daughter and 12 brothers, 
you know how protective they're going to be of her, you know. So they go over there and they kill every man in that village. Pastor, I didn't know that was in the Bible. They don't get preached about very much because it's pretty tough to realize that God's covenant people in the very beginning had a tough time getting it right and a tough time living for, the, for God. Well, he's sitting here now and he's forgot his pledge that he said he'd pay his time. He's forgot all about living right, forgot all about those things, and he's sitting here and he's so miserable. His daughter is in a terrible situation and his sons are all murderers. And he's sitting here and he said, God, what in the world am I going to do? And the Bible said the Lord spoke to him and said, get your family and take your family back to Bethel where you had the dream about the ladder. And he said, when you get there, listen, folks, he said, when you get there, build an altar. And he said, and I will meet you there. I wonder if we don't probably need some uh, back to Bethel experiences. You reckon that would help us? You think that'd help the church in 2023 to have a Bethel experience? To go back to Bethel where you first found him, where you first met him, where he first let you know what he was going to do? Amen. And, and the Bible said they all started then, Larry. Hey, this has become a whole sermon, hasn't it? Didn't intend for it to be. So the whole family starting back to Bethel, going to go back to God, back to, back to church, back to, back to where we're going to need to be. And the Bible said that God spoke to him and said, you're not really ready to go back. Well, I, I thought you told me you wanted me to go back. I do want you to go back, but said you're carrying some cargo that you don't need to take back because you need to get rid of it before you come back. Because before she left, the mother of all these, what a Mother's Day she was having, the mother of all these took an idol god that belonged to her father, a little icon, and the Bible said she hid it in her stuff. Hid it in her stuff. An idol god. Now what did God say about idols? Thou shalt have no other God before me. Brother, he made it very plain. Don't worship them. Don't have possession of them. Don't fool with idol gods. Don't have any of them around. Do you reckon this mother knew that? My Lord, sure she did. She knew all about it. But she had so much favoritism for one of her sons and wanted him to succeed so badly that she was willing to transgress the covenant. Well, that's, a, that's quite a picture, isn't it? And the Bible said Jacob was going to have one of those uh, family meetings. Have you ever had a family meeting at your house? A come-to-Jesus meeting? Brother, we used to have them. There were six of us. Two girls and four boys and sometimes we would have a back to Jesus meeting one of those uh, we're gonna get this right come on somebody don't you act like you've never had one 
Sometimes you come out of those meetings, Randy, and you hadn't got your keys in your pocket. Sometimes you come out of those meetings and some things you, you thought you uh, had, you, you don't have them anymore, at least for a while. Those come to Jesus meetings. And when they got in the meetings, he, he said to all the children, all those 12 sons and that daughter, Dinah, said, go and get all, all, all your goods, search all your goods, and said, anything you've got that's displeasing to the Lord, said, I want you to bring it out here. We're going back to God, and we've got to get rid of these idols, and we've got to get rid of all of these, these icons and all of these uh, images, all of that stuff. That's got to go. And the Bible said every member of his family, Don, went and picked them up one and brought it back out there and put it in the pile. And I wonder if the wife went and got her idol that she stole from her dad and brought it out and put it in the pile. I'm sure she did. And he got down on his knees and he gathered up all of that and put it, the Bible said he put it in a sack. I wonder if it was a tow sack. I don't know. But it was a sack. And by the time they piled it all up in that sack, and he threw it over his shoulder, and the Bible said there was a big oak tree that was up on the hill. And the Bible said he went up the hill to that oak tree, and he digged under it, and he threw those idols in that hole that he had digged and covered it back up and buried all of those things. Have you ever had an oak tree experience? Have you ever had, had something on board that didn't need to be on board and God told you, kind of said, hey, we need to have a little time where you get rid of that stuff? What's that called, Pastor? It's called repentance. I said it's called repentance. It's when you part with something that God says you don't need to have. It's where you turn your back on something and you walk away from something that God said you don't need to have that in your life. And in this early family, early in the scriptures, in the Genesis accounts, we've got these pictures of families that cheat, that lie, that kill one another, do atrocious things. Well, you see, Jesus hadn't come yet. We're a long ways from Jesus. But there's a promise, and God said, there's coming a day. There's going to be a time. There's going to be a, a, another culture and another time. You know, it's important for our families that we celebrate good parenting, that we make that a, a, a big deal in church. Because you, you can't expect a church to do in an hour and a half what you fail to do in a week's time. Amen. A church, we can do all the structuring that we can do, but it's up to mothers to pray with kids at home before they go to school. It's up to mothers and dads to bow your head before you eat a meal and thank the Lord for that meal. It's up to parents to create an environment where children feel safe in their own uh, home and in their, in their own family. And that they feel like they can find acceptance and they feel like they can come home and can find uh, someone that uh, cares about them that will stop and listen and hear what 
they have to say. I uh, went one time to pick up one of the kids, must have been Bentley, at school, and there was a little boy. They'd made some little stuff in their hands, and, and of course, I, I ran over and made over it. Yeah, that's pretty. I, I really don't recall even what it was. I don't know what the other little boy had, though. And he gave it to him, and I said, oh, boy, man, that's great, man. Isn't that nice? I love that. That's so good. And you painted that? I'm so glad you did that. Why would you paint that that color? Well, that's, that's fantastic. Well, what part is this right here that you made? That, the, that, the, that, oh, that's the top. This is the roof? Oh, okay. And I looked at the little boy, and he had done a pretty good job making a, a missile or some kind. And I said, boy, that's, that's nice. And his mother ran in, you know, to, to get him. And, and he said, Mama, look here. And she had him by the hand and was going out the door with him. And he was just, well, but Mama, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I want you to see. And they went on out the door. You know, and I, I wondered, you know, how much is it asking just to stop for a minute? Something that's important to a child or important to somebody that's hurting, important to somebody that has a definite need, that you stop long enough to just at least listen and let them feel like it matters to somebody. It matters to somebody. You know, sometimes a mother is your best friend and she listens to you. Sometimes she's the only one that will listen to you. The Bible talks about a mother's love being next to God's love. You know, Father God is almighty. He's creator. He fights our battles. He defeats the enemies. But he is also endowed with some motherly tendencies too. Jesus gave one of them in St. Matthew's gospel. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, as a hen. Did you know that a hen is a mother? As a hen would gather her brood. How oft would I have gathered you just like a hen would gather her brood? but you would not. Some of those motherly tendencies. In Psalm 113, he said, as a, as a midwife, he said, as you were given life out of uh, your mother's womb, that God was the one who was there that took that child immediately after coming from its mother's womb. That God knows us. The Bible says even before we were conceived, God knows us. That even before we're, we're birthed, he said, when thou wast just substance, I knew you. I knew you. That God watches over us and cares for us. And I want to tell you, if, if God knows that much about what's going on with the baby, he absolutely has equally as much or more to do with that mother. That mother. God cares and God loves mothers. He really does. 
My mother has been going a long, long time now. My mother was a, a, a very reserved woman. Uh, she didn't uh, say a whole lot. Don't think I ever saw her shout. You know, shouting was a pretty big thing when we, back then, praise God, we worshiped the Lord and raised. I didn't ever, I remember one night a lady, mama told me this. She said a, a woman in the church came over there and she said, Sister Irwin, Lord told me to come over here and walk with you. And mama said, well, he hadn't said that to me. <laughs> and if you would, there's probably other folks that'd be glad to walk with you. So just have liberty, just pick you one out here somewhere and they'll all be glad to walk. That's my mama. She, she was kind of that way. She was a, a great cook, great seamstress. We, we wore old shirts that she'd made out of material that let, sometimes they'd have all kind of figures on top of them. My friends would say, what is that right there? I'd say, I don't know. It's just on the cloth that my mama got it as a duenna sack at one time. That's a feed sack for those of you who don't know. Yeah, one time I wore shirts that was made out of feed sacks. Amen. But I had a mother that was talented enough to sew one together that I could wear it. What a good mother she, she was. When we get in trouble in school, she would go with us up there to talk about it. And... Uh, if she found out that we were guilty and responsible as charged, then whatever the punishment was for the school did not match the punishment that she dished out when we got back home. Don tells the story of him and Sammy fighting on the school bus. And uh, when his folks found out about it, uh, they uh, did a little bit of punishment of their own, didn't they, Brother Don? Amen. Folks did that back then. <laughs> and my dad used to tell me, and my mama, she loved a good fight. Now, when you've got four boys, and uh, then they go to fight, and she just go get right in the middle. But my mama didn't fight fair. Rolling pin, broom handle, mop handle, brother, whatever was close enough for her to get her hand on. She didn't fight fair. She'd hit you with something that hurt. But if there was a fight going on, buddy, she was, she's right in the middle. They didn't, we didn't have no fighting. We soon learned you can't whoop mama. She is so attentive to things, but she was always a good listener. And I, I can remember some of the times when I would preaching revivals and stuff, and, and she would sometimes say, well, why don't you come by here and get me? I'll go with you. And I said, Mama, it's a long ways to where I'm going. Don't matter. Just come by and get me. And just me and her would talk. And some of the fondest memories I have of my mother is those times riding to and from a preaching appointment somewhere. Last Sunday, I preached out of her Bible, Barbara. 
I just reached over on the shelf and brought it. Didn't bring it today, you know. But I would look over in, in her Bible, I, and I'd find where she'd written in it. And I didn't know my mother ever was spiritual enough to write things like she would write in there about how, how she loved the Lord and how, how she knew the Lord and what all God had done for her. God is that kind of God. He really is. He's a God that hears our prayers, especially mothers. I think mothers, I think God has a heart for mothers. Jesus had a mother. And Jesus' mother was present at the cross and stood there at the cross and watched her son die for the sins of the whole world. I would say, Don, that she was probably the first convert of the Lord Jesus. I would say that when the angel appeared to her and said, you are highly favored among women, you're going to be a, a mother. You're highly blessed. You're highly favored. You're going to be a mother. Isn't that great? And she sat there at that well, and she communed with that, that angel, and that angel told her, said, the thing that is conceived in you is of the Holy Spirit. And it, a great verse, for with man it is impossible, but with God nothing shall be impossible. For mothers, I want to tell you, nothing shall be impossible because with God all things are possible. Possible. There's a reason why that soldiers in their last moments of their life when they're wounded will call for their mother. It's amazing. Yet there are great statesmen and great presidents of the United States. George Washington said, all that I am, I owe to my mother. Abraham Lincoln said, the most influential person in my entire life is my mother. What an opportunity and what a challenge it is for mothers that mothers can change the events in the world. Mothers have the power to do that. And when mothers pray, I want to tell you, when mothers pray, there's something so special about that. I love to hear T pray because she has a, a gift of praying, a gift of praying for people. I wish every mother had that same gift. We were on our way, I'll tell you, tell you this and then we'll go. Come on, Olivia. We were on our way to... Panama City, we just graduated from high school, and me and Larry and, and Johnny and, and uh, Joe, we were going to Panama City, going to the beach. And we'd left one Sunday afternoon, and we were riding down 65 toward Birmingham from up in Hartsell, Alabama, and we came up on a wreck. And we, I saw it. There was no flashing lights. They hadn't got there yet. And I saw that car sitting in the middle, and it was pouring down rain. And there was this little woman sitting on the asphalt, and she'd say, get my children, get my children, bring me my children. And me and Larry and Joe, we all jumped out of the car and went to gathering up that woman's children. And she had little plastic soldiers that all strode all over the highway, and we brought them and got them there 
around their mother. And we took our jackets off with our letters on them and put them around that little woman to keep the rain off of her until the ambulance could get there. And there's a visible picture in my mind of a mother with her kids huddled around her like that after a, a wreck that they'd lost control of their car in the weather. And you know what she said? She looked at us a bunch of boys. And she said, can any of you boys pray? Well, being a preacher's son, Joe, Larry, Johnny, they all looked at me and said, you better pray. Phil, sometimes you just need to pray. So pray as I did, brother. I just said, God, you know this woman, and you're able to help her. And I, I just ask you, God, to, to help her. And did you know those kids and that woman, they all came through. That car was a total mess. But those kids and that woman, they wouldn't have scratch on any one of them. It slung them all out of the car and scattered them all over the bridge. And we had to gather them all up. I would to God if we had more mothers that would say, if you can just get them around me, if you can get my kids around me where I can pray for my kids, where I can pray for my kids. I've sat with mothers in emergency rooms. I've had to walk to houses and knock on the door and bring bad news that a child was not coming home. Over the 36 years I've been here, I've delivered about every kind of message in the world to mothers. This church has been a mother to a lot of families. If you just look around you, there are families that this church birthed them You'll find Handys, Crumleys, Newsoms, Barretts. They're just all kind of families sitting around here. And this church has been a mother, so to speak, to all of them. They were spiritually born right here around these altars. And there are mothers sitting right here, spiritual mothers that are sitting right here today, just like spiritual fathers are sitting here but it is Jesus who has brought about the family of God the family of God and I just pray that for all mothers that are here today that you'll have the grandest Mother's Day ever stand with me please all over the house I appreciate you so very much mothers you are loved and you are respected, every one of you. And I praise God for all of you. Would you give all of the mothers that are in this house a hand today? Amen. God, I thank you for having a, a day set aside for mothers. And I thank you that in your word, when mothers needed you and called upon you, you came to their aid and came to their rescue. 
people like Rahab, people like Sarah that you eventually met a great need in her life. Thank you, O oh God, for Deborah. And uh, thank you, God, for Dorcas. Thank you for the Marys in the New Testament that we read about. Thank you for the Mary Mag Magdalene. Thank you for Mary, the mother of Jesus. Thank you for Elizabeth. And thank you for the lady that transferred from one church to another, Phoebe, in the New Testament. Thank you for Dorcas, the seller of purple in the city of Philippi. Thank you for all the women that had such a great role to play in the forming of the New Testament church. And I ask you, God, to give us women like those women that I just named, women that are full of the Holy Spirit, women that are full of zeal and enthusiasm for God, women that know the power of prayer and know the worth of winning people to God and winning souls. God, you said that in mothers that you would put a spirit of kindness and a spirit of compassion. I pray, Lord, that in these contemporary times we're living in when, that are so divisive and so harsh, I pray that you give us mothers that are tender-hearted and have the spirit of kindness in their life. Lord, bless Harvest and continue to keep your hand upon Harvest that will continue to birth people into the kingdom of God, that this church would be a great mother that would gather people around her and would protect them and care for them and feed them and love them. Oh, Lord, I ask that this day would be a special day for mothers around the world and that mothers would know that they are loved and appreciated. Be with them all day today and give enjoyable times of fellowship around the table today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you and God go with you. Congratulations, mother. Amen. Have a great day.